This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide story that affects you. The committee to redraw Michigan's district lines is hard at work trying to figure out what voting district you will be in in the next election. And given some of the proposed maps or the drafts, this could have a major impact on what our legislature looks like next year. And our congressional maps as well. But the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, say that five times fast, has approved 10 draft maps four congressional, three state house, and three state senate. And here with us to sort out what that means and what the commission has been up to is Bridge Michigan State Capitol reporter Sergio Martinez-Beltran. Sergio, welcome. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a quick recap. So this commission came about after many a lawsuit, after a ballot initiative was approved by Michigan voters in 2018. It's made up of Democrats, Republicans, and independents from all over the state. So what have they been doing recently? So for the past uh, two months, the commission has been drawing maps, drawing the political boundaries that we'll be using uh, for the next decade. And that means they've spent hours and hours and hours of, of meeting time, drawing these maps, um, listening from the community, from those communities of interest, uh, which are the groups that share social, cultural, and other similarities, listening from them, absorbing that, that input and that feedback, and then trying to translate that into the draft maps. They voted on 10 draft maps, like you guys mentioned, and those are the ones they're going to bring uh, forward as they start the second round of public hearings. So what are the, the next step and what's the eventual timeline here? Um, it's fluid if you ask this commission. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you're going to start with their second round of public hearings. They're hoping to like uh, do that for, for the next two weeks, listen from the community again, uh, and then go back to the drawing board to readjust the boundaries and readjust the maps. Now, they don't have a lot of time because the commission's timeline says that they have to vote on proposed maps uh, by November 5th or on November 5th. And then the idea is that after that vote, the commission will hold a 45-day public comment period uh, before they vote on final maps on December 30th. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 quick. Um, now, uh, one of the things I think is important for us to, to get to people is they can be involved in this process. Like you said, there's a new pu- public comment period coming up. How can they view the maps and how can they get involved? Yes, there is a lot of ways that, that the public can get involved. And in fact, you know, I think it's important to, to re- remind people that the reason we're here, it's because voters overwhelmingly supported this constitutional amendment in 2018. So, it was supported and now it's a time when people need to show up and, and flood the gates, like I say, to make sure that their voices are heard. So, uh, you know, they can do it online, uh, the website of the MICRC. They can also um, go in person to these uh, public hearings. Uh, the first one is on Wednesday at 5 p.m. at the TCF Center in Detroit. And so that's where they're going to kick off the meeting. And we're expecting a lot of people to show up to that meeting. And then they're going to go to other parts of the state. They can also use uh, snail mail. And all that information, again, is on the website of the MICRC. And the important the important thing here is that people participate. If you want to see the maps, which uh, it's a question that you asked, you can also do it online. And you'll see uh, the commission recently adopted this new system uh, of calling calling the maps um, by native Michigan trees. Um, 
There is some controversy <laughs> because apparently some trees are not native to Michigan. I learned as I used that in my, <laughs> oh my stories. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're calling them that to make it easier for people to, to refer to them. So they can do that online and then show up in person and refer to, to those maps as they talk to the commission. The, co- the controversy never ends with redistricting, right. <laughs> no matter what we do. Yeah. Right. They should have known when they brought the trees into it that this was going to cause problems. <laughs> uh, so... Now, the drafts that have come out could really shake up our state legislature and really change what party controls what area and maybe even what party controls the Senate and the House. So what's going on there? Yes, and, and I think it's important, you know, to to recognize that it is early still in the process and that these maps could change. But um, the commission has used its own process to analyze the maps, Bridge, Michigan. We've also used our process to analyze the maps. And so what we found is that uh, on the Senate side, the the commission has put forward three proposed maps and uh, anything can happen. Pretty much it could be a toss up. So we're seeing that there's one draft map that would evenly split the Senate. So 19 seats for the Republicans, 19 seats for the Democrats. And then we've seen uh, the, the other two maps, which would give a 2018 majority to either Democrats or Republicans. So truly anything could happen. In terms of the House, uh, Republicans would still have an edge uh, in the in the House of Representatives. But what we're seeing is that the, the advantage that they currently have, which is 58-52, would narrow down. And so um, what we are probably going to see is that um, each party or the Republicans would be ahead of the Democrats by only two seats. So uh, still a Republican edge, but the Republic, uh, Democrats can still be hopeful of, of the new draft maps. Now, there's also some concern right now about diluting black majorities in a number of districts. Several Detroit lawmakers and activists have been expressing their frustration with some of the maps proposed by the commission at a downtown news hearing or news conference uh, just this past week, um, saying that, you know, some of these some of these districts are so overwhelmingly uh, made up of minority populations, especially African-Americans in Detroit. And uh, the claim has been that these maps would leave zero uh, majority minority um, uh, districts on some of the maps. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that um, and and sort of what the interplay is. Why would the commission, um, you know, draw maps that would do that? Yes. Yeah, so currently the state has 17 majority minority congressional house and Senate districts. And of course, uh, most of them, if not all of them are in the Detroit area. And the idea, you know, we have these majority minority districts because of the Voting Rights Act, which was created to protect the voting rights of minority groups and also to, to ensure that if if they are having issues voting, they can be put in a district that is majority minority so that their candidate of choice can get elected. So pretty much to make sure that their voice is heard and is as powerful as white communities. And so what we're seeing with the current maps is that African-Americans are still the majority in a lot of these districts. However, their percentage is not necessarily 51 or 55 or 60% like we currently see. We're seeing that that threshold, that percentage of African-American voters in the new districts is lower. They're still the majority, but it is lower. And, you know, there are concerns among African-American leaders. Uh, we know Senator Adam Ollier of Detroit has expressed concerns. Other uh, Democrats and, and African-American leaders have expressed the same concerns, which is that the way the commission has drawn districts, which pretty much 
now we have districts that touch Detroit, but they stretch all the way north into the suburbs. The way they've drawn those districts, even though, uh, even though African-Americans are the majority, their votes will be diluted because they are being paired with a white suburb. And we know that uh, suburbs tend to vote at a higher rate than uh, minority groups. So that's like the big concern at the time. And so what many of these leaders are asking is to make sure that when the commission goes back to the drawing board and redraw the maps, that they include more African-Americans in those districts. And we recently had Jeff Timmer on Detroit Today with Stephen Henderson here on WDET. Uh, Jeff Timmer is a really interesting person. I know that you just spoke with him as well. Uh, he is a longtime GOP political strategist who is now uh, very much involved in the Lincoln Project, very anti-Trump, very anti the direction that the GOP has gone since he uh, was uh, one of the executive directors of the party uh, a little while ago. And he was heavily involved involved in the redistricting process when this was in the Republican legislature's hands and now admits that he, you know, he and other Republicans drew these maps specifically to politically advantage their own party, uh, which is no huge surprise. But the fact that he's out here saying it so openly and talking about it so openly now is is kind of a big deal. He talks about this issue of the VRA, the Voting Rights Act, and this issue of packing uh, a lot of black vo voters into into single districts. Um, I want to play a quick clip from his appearance on Detroit Today and have you react to it because. I thought it was fascinating. There were two main uh, keys to gerrymandering in Michigan. When I sat down to draw maps 10 and 20 years ago, the uh, relying on county and city or township geography, keeping those intact helps Republicans. The other thing that helped Republicans was the Voting Rights Act, is the Voting Rights Act, packing those uh, uh, districts, those majority and minority districts into cities like Detroit. Uh, we would sit down and negotiate with certain members of the Black caucuses in the House and Senate in Lansing, uh, negotiate with them to draw the lines within the city of Detroit, for example. And in turn, they got they voted for the plants. Uh, in 2011 and 20, uh, 2001, there were uh, Black Democrats who voted for the Republican gerrymandered plants. Uh, that was how we did it. And so uh, packing the uh, uh, African-American population of Detroit into districts that there are several uh, seats in the state house right now that are more than 90 percent black. And if uh, if that happens again, that only benefits Republicans. So, Sergio, I'm curious what your reaction is to what Jeff Timmer is saying there and this strange tightrope that Democrats are playing here when it comes to uh, making sure that uh, there is this political power that exists for the African-American community and not trying to dilute that, but also trying to maximize their own power in this process. I think it's the irony of it all, right? Uh, we're, we're hearing now from Jeff Timmer talking about how Republicans used this system of using the Voting Rights Act to pack African-Americans uh, in a district. And so you might think, well, the idea or like, the way to to make this better is by unpacking the African-American districts. And now we're hearing African-American leaders say, hey, you can unpack us, but don't take too many people away from our districts because that's going to dilute our voice. And that, I mean, I think that is the best example of how complicated uh, this process is. Keep in mind, the commission has to follow seven criterions uh, that are spelled out in the Constitution uh, as they draw these maps. And so they are ranked, it's a ranked criteria as well. So 
when they are paying attention to one, let's say making sure it's compliant with the Voting Rights Act, once they start plugging in their partisan fairness analysis, when those different criterions interact with each other, the numbers change and they have to go back and readjust the lines here and there to make sure that the numbers on the score looks good. I wanna go back though to the point about um, respecting county lines and city lines and, and, and all of that geography, right? Um, we do know and we've seen that the commission has tried to respect counties and has tried to respect those uh, government lines, but in some districts it has crossed lines, right? And, and the commission is doing that and it's been a painful process. Like you can hear commissioners refer to it as a painful process of having to break counties or cities into two different or three different districts but that is what they feel they have to do in order to for their maps to be compliant. At the end of the day, I think everyone is expecting the commission to get sued uh, by different <laughs> groups over, over these new maps. So I think what they really want to do is to have everything on the record and explain why they did it the way they did it. So when they go into court, um, some of the maps, if not all of them, survive. Speaking of quotes. When I was the NPRN state capital reporter, uh, Senate Minority Leader Jim Ananick gave me a quote that still sticks out in my brain. He said, because there was a lot of controversy going on over a vote that he wasn't happy with, he said, if I get fair maps, I'm going to wipe the floor with these clowns, referring to Republicans. <laughs> so my question for you is, how are these maps looking for Democrats? Are they going to be able to wipe the floor with Republicans? Or is this, as you say, more complicated than that? It is more complicated than that. And I do think uh, politicians also like to use the 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 term cautiously optimistic. And I think they are cautiously optimistic about the maps, right? We, we know that, again, in the Senate, it seems like it could benefit them a little bit. We know with the congressional district, it also could, could make the districts more competitive. Um, so I think they're cautiously optimistic. You know, a lot of Democrats and progressives were the ones who pushed for this constitutional amendment and supported it. And so um, I think in concept, they thought it was going to go some way. And then now that the commission is progressing with their work and they're seeing that it's not necessarily giving them all the advantage they wanted, um, they are starting to become a little bit more nervous. And that's why we're seeing representatives and senators going on Twitter expressing their concerns about how the commission is, is conducting business. We're seeing Senator Adam Ollier calling for a press conference the other day uh, to talk about how the commission can do a better job at representing Black voters. So this is why we're here at this point. And by the way, people who say they're uh, cautiously optimistic, I, I like to say now that I'm recklessly pessimistic. It's, <laughs> it's kind of, it seems like a good way to go about it in 2021. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, you. I think that it was you who had uh, an interesting um, uh, encounter with, I believe, it was the PIO for the the commission. Um, but it seems like the the commission itself has not been happy with the way that the that the media specifically has been sort of really. Um, uh, for I would I would uh, characterize it as being very, very dogged in the way that you've been able to report this, you and, and several other reporters who are really on the case here. Um, but the, the commission, ha it seems like, has felt like they're under so much of a microscope and, and they're getting criticism from really all sides here um, that they've all, they, you could maybe even describe it as lashing out a little bit. But I'm curious what your thoughts are about um, this process and the, the, the job that the media has been able to do and, and reporters have been able to do 
and uh, the commission's response to that. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like I said earlier, voters overwhelmingly supported this constitutional amendment. And that it was, and the reason they did that, it's because they wanted more transparency. Remember, before the commission was created, it was the, po- the party in power in the Lansing legislature that was in charge of drawing these lines and they did it in secret. So we didn't see all the sausage making, right? We didn't see all the turns uh, of, of what the commission has to do in order to achieve the maps that they're gonna put out. So now we're seeing that, right? And so that means that when you're transparent, we are reporting on all those movements because at the end of the day, people need to know. We are having an opportunity to look into this now and to have people better understand how, how it works. And I think, you know, something that I've said to, to those who have criticized the press for, for our coverage of the commission is that we can chew and walk gum at the same time. I think we can all be grateful that the commission is being transparent but we also have to remember that the public wanted transparency. So when the commission is not transparent, we have to report on it. We can hold them accountable as well. At the end of the day, these people, these commissioners are getting paid $55,000 a year. So it is a full-time job, right? Um, these commissioners are not elected officials, but they're serving in a public capacity. And they were volunteers. It was not that someone went into the house, knocked on the door, dragged them out and told them, you are a commissioner now. They wanted to be participating in this process, in this historic moment. And so I think we can do both. We can be grateful that the commission is being transparent. Uh, Everyone can hope that the commission draw fair maps. And then we can also at the same time keep holding them accountable because that's the only way that people are gonna know what's happening with the commission and how the map looks like. Before we get you out of here, you put together a very tight timeline earlier. Is that, is it going to happen? Are they going to be able to get all of this done and weed through all of these laws and all of these different maps and get them voted on and everything? Is it possible? Are they? Do you think they're going to get it done in time? If you ask the commission, they say they have to do it. They have to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, these, these maps and this data is important to have as soon as possible in order for candidates to know in what district they're running or to know if they have to move districts, right? So they have to have this as soon as possible. I think um, the commission is truly trying their best. For example, we knew that um, they had uh, a public hearing that they had to postpone in order to have more time to work on on the maps and make sure that people had the complete picture. Because, Because granted, once they vote on November 5th for the proposed maps, um, they're going to go in this 45-day public comment period. If they have to make changes again, that 45-day clock restarts, which means mm. that they won't be able to vote on them after December, you know, before December 30th. So the commission is really trying to get it right in this, you know, at the beginning, so they don't have to like make uh, drastic changes uh, later on. And that way they can approve maps on December 30th. Uh, and then we can all celebrate on New Year's Eve that this is done. <laughs> And, and and really quick, uh, Sergio, when when you talk about uh, the, the the fact that they don't want to have to reset the clock here, is that why we're seeing uh, so many maps with? You could argue little tiny sort of changes to them that, um, you know, the idea is you don't want to put out just a few maps and then have to go make huge changes uh, if you kind of put out a bunch of them and you can kind of choose which one you end up voting on. Is that is that the reason? And maybe talk a little bit about that controversy. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons. Um, I think that the idea is that after these two weeks of public hearings, they're going to come back and, and, you know, try to analyze all the public input. And let's say maybe there's like one uh, house map that 
people really like, but they didn't like this area of the state, how it was drafted. But then there's another house map that has something that people like. Maybe like they can uh, incorporate what they like into the maps uh, and make make the map uh, stronger. And that is one of the reasons they they really wanted to give people uh, choices. And we know, you know, they they've been scoring the the maps. And um, we know that some maps have not had the best scores necessarily in terms of partisan fairness or, or, um, or, or communities of interest or whatnot, but they're really trying to like put maps out there so people can like comment on them, give them options, and then they, they hope to choose the best one or create the best, the best version of it. Bridge Michigan State Capitol reporter Sergio Martinez Beltran, thank you so much for taking the time and thanks for all of your work uh, keeping an eye on this process for us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the two of you and yeah, shout out to all the other reporters covering redistricting. Uh, their work matter and support them too. All right, that's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shayna Roth. Thanks for listening.